0: Our scripture lesson today is taken from the second chapter of Luke, starting at verse 21 and continuing through verse 40. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. To do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul also. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, come kindle the flame of sacred love in these cold hearts of ours. And may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. As we begin this calendar year together at Westminster, I want to give two sermons this January that are focused on the life of our church. Both sermons are likely to be more practical in nature than you often receive from me. Today's sermon is geared to both parents and to the congregation as a whole concerning the role each plays in seeking to rear children and youth in the life of faith. Then when I next preach on January 28th, when we ordain and install our officers, I plan to provide the best word I can from the pulpit about how we in the congregation move forward into the future in this season of change through which we are going. As after more than a decade of terrific continuity on our staff, we have been and will be saying goodbye to people who have led us well and are leaving through retirement or changes in call. But first, a sermon today for parents and members of the congregation. As we've seen over the last month during Advent, each gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, introduces Jesus Christ in the opening chapters of their respective Gospels with ways that reflect the human and theological focus on which each Gospel writer seeks to emphasize. Within this witness, Luke's Gospel provides the story of Jesus' birth that is the warmest and the most familiar to us. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. While they were there, the time came for her to be delivered. In that region, there were shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Less familiar to us, but no less beautiful, is what happens after the shepherds and angels depart. Luke writes, after eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child. And he was called Jesus, the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now once in Jerusalem they enter the temple where they encounter an aging couple, Simeon and Anna, who have been, as Patrick said, waiting for the Messiah. Luke again makes sure to note that in presenting Jesus in the temple, Mary and Joseph are doing for him, quote, what was customary under the law. In the midst of Luke's beautiful narratives of the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Christ and the response to that birth of angels and shepherd shepherds Luke four times interrupts the narrative to specify that Jesus' parents have him circumcised, named, and presented in the temple quote, according to what was in. The law. Now, the law refers to the Torah. And the Torah for this Jewish couple is the most intense and deepest understanding of God's way and will in the world. Mary and Joseph do by and for their child the very Best that their faith, that their religious tradition, that their teaching has to offer. That is what this text, this story is about. When I moved here over 13 years ago, I met with a couple who were loosely affiliated with Westminster and who have long since moved away from the area. And I learned from meeting with them, they shared that they were paying over $500 a week for sophisticated ballet instruction for one of their children. Now that was you know, 13 years ago, and I was not that many years away from having coached T-ball for my son. Now, that was in Texas. But I remembered when I coached T-ball that I cringed at $90 to sign him up for the team and $50 to buy a uniform. And when this couple shared this amount with me and I was new in town... I quickly did the math and realized that that's almost $25,000 a year. And it was one of the early learnings I had moving to this area that in moving here I had not only changed time zones, but I had changed economies. Since then, starting then and since then, though, I have observed with wonder and with respect how seriously the parents in this community and in this congregation seek to expose their children to the myriad of opportunities that come with living in this area. Opportunities in sports and scouting and education and science and technology and music, the arts, drama, dance, ballet. I've observed how much time and money and energy and mentoring parents give to rearing their children to be the most educated, civic-minded, well-rounded, and physically healthy human beings they can be. Though I had far fewer opportunities as a child to receive such exposure and then later as a parent to provide such exposure, I know from seeing others in the years that I've been here how nearly all of these experiences that children have and the experiences that I had growing up are of enormously high quality and provide so much in a child or a young person's growth and development. I do not begrudge any parent or any grandparent from trying to do the absolute best by and for their children. It is a wonderful world that we live in. It is a wonderful community that we live in. The opportunities for children and youth are almost limitless. And in the Presbyterian Church, We have a strong theological affirmation that our role as Christians is to live in the world and engage the world. And so by raising our children to be involved in all these things that the world provides them, we are being theologically consistent with our tradition. But as every adult Parent or not who comes to this church knows, in order to expose our children to the faith we have, we simply must make a parental choice to involve them in the life of the church through whatever it is that fits their personality. Involving them in worship, in church school, in choir, in confirmation. And youth fellowships and mission trips. Exposure to the Christian faith through the church is, in my opinion, at least as important as the exposure we rightly try to give our children to the life of the mind, the life of the body, and the life of the world. It's kind of fun to speculate or to think about you know, what choices Mary and Joseph may have faced in raising their son. I, I don't know that there were many. Maybe Joseph did carpentry classes for the scouts of his day. And there were time demands, you know, to bring the children there. Maybe Mary had a little pottery studio out in the back. And neighborhood kids could sign up. I don't think they faced too much of a challenge on, you know, sort of what technology to allow their kids to have or not have. Who knows? Um, whether or not they sometimes traveled to Florida for spring break, I mean for spring training. Something all of us would do today, whether we liked baseball or not. I don't know if they faced those kind of choices. But whatever they face Luke says over and over that they did what was according to the custom of the law, the custom of their faith, the custom of their religious teaching. And Luke is emphasizing that it was Mary and Joseph as the earthly parents of Jesus who chose to bring their son to the temple. When they made that parental choice for Jesus, they came to see that it was in the temple that Jesus came into the purpose for which the angels and shepherds and manger and census had all been choreographed by God. Just as we know that a child will never learn soccer unless we force them or push them out onto the field to participate... A child will be hard-pressed to find a healthy, balanced, well-rounded Christian faith without parents or grandparents making a choice to involve them in the life of the church. Luke concludes his description of Jesus' birth and childhood by saying of Jesus what had been said of Samuel and John the Baptist before him, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in divine and human favor. The choice his parents made played a role in that increase. But it was not just the parents. There were people at the temple waiting for Jesus. Simeon, to whom the Holy Spirit had revealed that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Messiah. And Anna, 84 years old, dwelling in the temple in her widowhood, worshiping there with fasting and prayer night and day. These two, more than senior citizens, waited for Christ in the temple. They received him when the parents placed him in Simeon's arms, blessed him, and then, in Simeon's case, departed this world in peace. It is a reminder that the nurturing of children and youth in the life of faith is something for the whole community. It's not just a parental responsibility. Like many of us at Westminster, I have not been involved in bringing a child into this world. I adopted my two children when they were 12 and 10, five years after I had married their mother. I thus only lived with them for a little more than a decade, and their biological father was alive and was, and was rightly still in the picture. To be honest and to be frank, of all the things that I have done in my life, I feel less successful as a parent than anything else. I doubt that either Simeon or Anna, were involved in the beauty of birth, of creating life. But they were part of a religious organization that shaped Jesus of Nazareth into becoming the person God created him to be. They played a role in helping a child who was not their own find his destiny, the destiny that God had created for him. Those of us who are not currently parents or who have never been parents play that same role at this community of faith. About 25 years ago when a church I was serving was giving a lot of thought to its Christian education program, he was giving so much thought to it that I was losing sleep over it at night. In the middle of the night, this thought or this idea came to me that I've held on to ever since. The thought is this, that when a child comes to the church, a young person too, whatever they experience from the moment their foot touches the parking lot until they get back in their car and fasten their seatbelt. Whatever they experience shapes and forms their faith. What that means is what all of us here as Simeon's and Anna's do when we interact with a child or a young person, whether it is in the sanctuary, in the church kitchen, in the hallway, on a scout camping trip, on a mission trip, in the choir loft, wherever we are, we are shaping and forming their faith. What they experience from us will determine, to a large part, what their faith will become. We are all Simeons and Annas. From the time I was 11 years old, my, I grew up with my family at Germantown Presbyterian Church right outside of Memphis. It was a small country church when we moved there and, and became members of that church. It was white, colonial uh, very much like Westminster and it now has almost as many members as Westminster has and is a, and is a very similar congregation to it. My mom lives about five houses away from it, uh, goes every Sunday, and only in recent years has had to start driving rather than walking. Along with school, which I loved, and sports, which I loved, the Presbyterian Church was a normal, healthy part of our family life. We attended each week, and the usher at the front door was nearly always a man named Bobby Lanier. Now, Bobby Lanier was certainly older than me when I was a child. He was probably 50 at the time. Uh, I didn't know a lot about him but I knew he was on the city council, and I knew he was a volunteer fireman, and I knew he did some other things in the community. I understood that his wife was Catholic, so we never saw her, and I knew there was a picture of his son framed and framed in a football uniform in the Hall of Fame display in the school gym. But every Sunday he was there ushering as we would go into church. And as a kid, as soon as the service ended, all of us would bolt down the center aisle and leave, sort of like our kids bolt forward to come for the children's sermon. But when we came to Bobby Lanier, we would slow down, and we would stop, and we would shake his hand, because we knew that he would always slip into the palm of our hand a stick of Wrigley's Spearmint gum. I'm sorry for any dentists who are here, but just, you know, forget this part of the sermon. But you know how that gum was? It came in the little white wrappers with the black arrow pointing and the thin aluminum foil, and you could almost smell it in Fellowship Hall. Well, you know, I graduated from high school, went to college, went to seminary. In my last year of seminary, they invited me back to Germantown Presbyterian Church and preached. So I preached one of my first sermons at the seminary, at the uh, church. At the conclusion of the service, in the last hymn, walked down the center aisle to the back where it was custom in that church to give the benediction. I gave the benediction. I positioned myself to greet people as they were going out. Bobby Lanier was ushering. He came up and patted me on the back and he shook my hand and he slipped into it. (laughs) A stick of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. Everything a child or young person experiences from the time their foot hits the parking lot until they get in the car to go back home, shapes their faith. We are all Simeon's and Anna's. Amen.